Take your Bibles, please, and turn to the book of 1 Kings, chapter 17. 1 Kings, chapter 17. 1 Kings, chapter 17, verse 1. And Elijah the Tishbite, who was of the inhabitants of Gilead, said unto Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel liveth before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years, but according to my word. You know, Elijah was that great prophet of God. We hear a lot about Elijah. We read a lot about Elijah. And we're going to look at his life for just a few moments this morning. I think one of the great problems in the Lord's churches today is that as the Lord's churches, we have developed a professional ministry. Now, I believe a preacher ought to be as professional as he can be. But the ministry is not a profession in the sense of being a doctor or an attorney or something like that. I've been reading a lot of Vance Havner. Vance Havner says a lot about Elijah, and I agree with him. We need some Elijahs today. I'll repeat that in a moment. But too many preachers are concerned with pleasing the congregation more than with pleasing God. And too many congregations are happy to have it that way, folks. And that's why so often in the Lord's churches and in our services, we just sort of seem to be dead and and maybe even dull. So we're going to look into the life of a man who would just tell it like it is. That's what I like about Elijah. He didn't mince words. You know, Vince Havner said this one time. He said, you can't tell it like it is until you believe it like it was, right? And we have to tell it like it is. That's what a preacher of the Word of God ought to do. Elijah didn't mince words. Elijah was plain spoken. He just said what needed to be said. You know, he hadn't learned the art of almost saying something. You know, a lot of preachers today almost say something. We've learned to be politicians if we're not careful. He didn't try to say something without saying anything. And so Elijah just brought the message that God had. You didn't have to wonder where Elijah stood when he spoke. You knew where he stood. You knew where he was coming from. Too many preachers today, and I love to talk about prayer. I love to get on the case of preachers. You know, I enjoy that. But too many preachers today almost bring a message from the Lord. Almost. They'll use a Bible, some version that they have, and they'll say something that sounds good, it's pleasing to the ear. They may talk about love. They may talk about refusing to condemn the false beliefs of some folks and so forth, and that all sounds good. I almost think they get their messages from the book of how to make friends and not alienate people, you know. I tell you what, you preach the Word of God, and if somebody's out of fellowship with God, it's going to get under their skin. It's going to cause them difficulty. It's going to cause them problems. You know, over in the book of 1 Corinthians, the 14th chapter, the Apostle Paul said something, and I believe a lot of preachers are like this today. He said, For if the trumpet give an uncertain sound, who shall prepare himself for the battle? And we have preachers today that are trumpets making uncertain sounds in an uncertain time, and we need that trumpet to make a certain sound in a time that we know as the last times, as the last days. And so we need preachers who will stand in the pulpit and preach the Word of God. You know, there's only one place I want to get the message that I share with you, and that's from the Word of God. 
You don't need to hear what Reader's Digest says this week. I guess they're still putting out Reader's Digest. I don't take it, so I don't know. You don't need to hear what the news said this week unless that news relates some way to what we're doing and where we are. And I don't want to be guilty of simply preaching a sermon, okay? A performance to fill up time. I don't want to be guilty of that, folks. I want to preach a message from the Word of God. In fact, this is what I have told the Lord this week. You look out, this is dangerous. I don't know what, what it means. I don't know what's ahead. But I said, Lord, I want to be an Elijah. Lord, I want to be an Elijah. Be just like that prophet who was so willing to stand up and say what God had to say. I want a preaching ministry that is unafraid and unashamed to stand up and confront sin today, folks. Because that's what we need. We need preachers who are... Not worried about gaining a following. We need preachers who are willing to stand up and say, here's what the Word of God says. If ever there was a time for God's preachers and for God's people to stand up and to stand out, folks, that time is today. That time is right now. With some, you have to wonder sometimes whether they're for God or against Him, you know. Whose side are you on? Well, folks, you didn't have to worry about whose side Elijah was on. And I don't want you to have to worry about whose side I'm on. Again, today, we need Elijah's in the pulpit. But we need Elijah's in the pew also. We need church members. We need people who are serving God who will be as powerful as Elijah was. So we're going to look at Elijah this morning. And the first thing that we're going to see about Elijah this morning is that he was a common man. He was a common, he was just a regular guy. You know, we're not told a lot about Elijah, are we? I mean, all of a sudden, in the first verse of the 17th chapter, boom, there's Elijah. You know, we're not told about his birth. The only thing we're told is about a little bit about his home. He's called Elijah the Tishbite, so he was from a place called Tishba. Now, Tishba was in Gilead, which was on the east side of the Jordan River. You remember two and a half tribes of Israel decided they wanted to settle down on the east side of the Jordan River. They thought that was a good place to live, and they wanted to live there, and so they did. And that's the area that Elijah was from. Gilead was a rough and a mountainous area. And in fact, the name Gilead means rugged, and it means raw. It had high peaks and deep valleys. And so this is where Elijah came from. And I like what Vince Havner said about him, him and Amos both. He said, you know, Elijah was just one of those backwoods preachers. He didn't have all the cultivation of being a city preacher. He grew up in the backwoods and he grew up serving God and trusting God. So when he appears on the scene, being a backwoods preacher, his ministry and his methods and his message were just as rough and rugged as the place that he called home. Elijah had not been through a Dale Carnegie course on how to win friends and influence people. He didn't have formal seminary training to teach him how to preach his message and offer him a higher criticism of the word of God like so many preachers have today. He was just like Paul and he was just like Joshua and he was a man who trusted God and was committed to God, folks. I want to be an Elijah. I hope you want to be an Elijah. You know, a lot of folks today think, well, I need some formal training if I'm going to share the word of God. I need some formal training if I need to witness to people of the Lord Jesus Christ. But just look at Elijah. Look at the apostles. Look at Paul. You know what Paul's claim to fame was? 
He spent three and a half years in the Arabian desert with the Lord. That's where he got his seminary education, if you want to call it that. But he spent some quality time with the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what he could claim. The apostles walked and talked with Jesus on a daily basis. You know what that tells me? If you're going to be effective for the Lord, you need to walk and talk with him on a daily basis. Some churches today, I think, are more impressed by the degrees that a man has instead of whether he has spent a lot of time with the Lord. But we need to spend time with the Lord. The man who can speak for God is the man who has spent time with God in prayer and in the Word of God. That's the man who can stand up, the person who can stand up and preach the Word of God. That's how to become powerful in the Word. If you look at the sixth chapter of Acts, the second verse... These apostles who had for three and a half years had walked and talked with Jesus, had listened to him teach. Remember what they said to that church at Jerusalem? It's not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables or wait tables. What they were saying is, look, we've got to spend time in the word of God. We've got to spend time in the Bible if we're going to be able to lead this church, if we're going to be able to lead this people. We've got to have time with God. You know, the issue there in that six chapters where deacons were invented because there were a group of widows that were saying we're being overlooked in the daily ministration. And so it was causing problems in the church. And they said, well, look you out some men and set them over this business because we've got to spend time in the word of God. And so any preacher today needs to spend time in the Word of God. Well, that's the home of Elijah. But I want you to see how human he was too. I said he was just a common man. He was just a regular guy. Because you look at James chapter 5, and what does James say about Elijah? He was a man of like passions as we are. Now you just hold that thought. We're going to come back to that. We're going to leave it for a moment. But he said he was a man of like passions as we are. And if you don't believe that, you look at 1 Kings 19. After he had defeated the prophets of Baal, after those prophets of Baal had been killed, Jezebel says to him, the queen says to him, by this time tomorrow, you're going to be like one of them. You're going to be dead. And what did Elijah do? He ran. He ran out in the wilderness and he sat down under a juniper tree and he essentially prayed this, Lord, I don't want her to kill me, so you kill me. Just bits of depression in his life that he faced when things like this happened. And somebody suggested he even had a fiery temper. Maybe he did. You know, it, it helps every once in a while for the preacher to have a little fire, doesn't it? People look at men like Elijah and Joshua and Paul, and here's what they say. Well, these guys were super saints. These guys were super saints. They had attained a spiritual level that I can never attain. Elijah was a man of like passions as we are. Yeah, Paul was a religious man originally, but he was in a corrupt religion, right? You know what Joshua was before God led him to lead Israel? He was a military man. And God called Joshua to lead the nation of Israel. And Joshua made some errors, didn't he? Even as leader of Israel. Remember when some folks came to him and they pretended to be from a long way away, wanted to make a pact with Israel that we'll become your servants and uh, you won't ever war against us. And Joshua didn't pray about it. And they soon became a thorn in the side of Israel. So Joshua made some mistakes. When we look at Elijah and we look at his boldness and we look at his faith, 
And we think things like, well, I could never stand as boldly as Elijah stood. I could never be like that. He must have had something that I don't have. But again, James 5, 17. He was a man, the scripture says, of like passions as we are. Now somebody has suggested this, that what that is saying is that Elijah was just as human as you and me. And you know what? He was. That's all he was. He was a sinner saved by the grace of God, just like you and I are sinners saved by the grace of God. And here's the point. God is not looking for spiritual superheroes, folks. You know what God is looking for? God is looking for people who are humble enough and have enough faith in Him that He can use them for His glory. Look over to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 beginning in verse 26. Because if anything ought to humble us as the people of God, these verses ought to. Verse 26 says this, For you see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. That puts us where we are, doesn't it? He goes on to say, But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, and God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty, and base things of the world, and things which are despised hath God chosen, yea, and things which are not to bring to naught things that are, that no flesh should glory in His presence. Here's what God wants. God wants to take some normal person, some regular person like you or me, and God wants to use us in a mighty way in service to Him so that we are like the Apostle Paul said one time in 1 Corinthians, he said, I want to preach with power, not for my sake, but I want to preach with the power of the Holy Spirit so God gets the glory. Amen. We ought to have a desire to live for God, to live for Christ, not so people will say, boy, you're a wonderful Christian. You're a wonderful person. No, so people will say, how mighty is the God that you serve that he could take you or he could take me and use us in a great way for his glory. So Elijah was just a common man. But I tell you what else he was, other than being a nobody from nowhere who was handpicked by God, Elijah was a courageous man. See, God can take a common man and God can make him a courageous man. You know what he did first? He defied a foolish ruler. Ahab was the king. Okay? Ahab was the king and he was the most wicked king that had ever set on the throne in Israel. Look back to chapter 16 for just a moment and look at verse 30 and see what it says about Ahab there. Verse 30 says this, And Ahab the son of Omri did evil in the sight of the Lord above all that were before him. He was the most wicked king that had ever ruled in the nation of Israel. Verse 33, And Ahab made a grove, and Ahab did more to provoke the Lord God of Israel to anger than all the kings of Israel that were before him. Verse 32, He reared up an altar for Baal in the house of Baal, which he had built in Samaria. So here's what Ahab did. First of all, in violation of God's instruction, he went out and married a Canaanite woman. Her name was Jezebel. We're all familiar with Jezebel. You know, I don't know many parents that name their daughters Jezebel these days. I don't know many parents that name their children Ahab either. But he went out and he married Jezebel. He introduced, as the scripture says, Baal worship into the nation of Israel. Jezebel worshipped a goddess named Ashtaroth. And Ashtaroth had her priests also. That's going to be important later in this series. But through their leadership, the nation of Israel lost all of their regard for the commandments of God. 
In fact, you get to the 18th chapter where I wanted to begin this series in the first place. And Elijah says to them, how long halt ye between two opinions? Because they, they wanted to serve God for what God would do for them, but they wanted to serve Baal for what Baal would do for them. I read about a man named Chuck McElhenney. He wrote a book called When the Wicked Sees the City. There's a story goes he was sitting at home one day reading the newspaper and he noticed an article in the newspaper that there was going to be a city council meeting and they were going to discuss homosexual rights. So McElhenney said, I'll go. And he went to this meeting, they had their discussion and at the end of the discussion they asked if anybody wanted to speak and he asked if he could speak and they let him speak and he didn't preach and he didn't raise his voice he got up and read three verses of scripture. And when he got through, one of the city councilmen said, that was the Bible you were reading, wasn't it? And he said, yes, sir. And that city councilman thought a moment. He said, I'm going to vote no on this. And other city councilmen said, I'm going to vote no on this. Now, since that time, his house has been firebombed. His life has been threatened. A lot of Difficult things have happened to him, but he went to that city council meeting and he took a stand. He showed some courage and folks, God's people today need that same kind of courage. We need to be willing to speak up. See, in our day, the wicked haven't just seized the city, folks. The wicked have seized the whole country. You just have to, if you don't believe that, you just sort of look around today. We stand by in silence while the minds of our own children are captivated by thoughts of selfish indulgence, independence from God, prosperity that will help us be independent from God. We pass their choice of music off as a fad. I know we did it in my day too, when I was a teenager. But we pass some of this that is, I don't even call it music, pass it off as a fad. Parents would be appalled if they listened to the words of some of these things that their children are listening to. There's language in some of that that any respectful person shouldn't use in their own homes, in privacy. And it is being broadcast and our children are listening to it. We seem to take no say in what our children do many times. I tell you what, when I was growing up we had the feats rule in the house. What is the feats rule? As long as your feet are under my table, you do what I say. Hey. <laughs> and that's the way it ought to be. See, we parents, now because the state says they're adults at 18, we think that's true. 18-year-olds may be a lot smarter with computers and cell phones and things like that than some of us who are older, but they're not as wise as we are. Yeah, I've told our son and our daughter, I said, you will never know as much as I know. And you know why? Because I'm so much older than you. I've had more experience. I've had more time to gain wisdom. I've had more time to learn more stuff. And yet we, we seem to have this idea of, well, my child knows well enough. And what we have seen is this once great and once godly nation reduced to a stagnated cesspool of iniquity and open sin. Amen. Folks, I love America. Don't you get the wrong impression. I love this nation. But we right now are showing outright hostility to God with the things that we encourage and the things that we promote in this country and allow. And it breaks my heart. Amen. You know, I've told you before, I believe red, white, and blue. I don't just believe red, I believe red, white, and blue. 
And I'm standing somewhere and they raise the flag and the national anthem's played. I don't kneel. I choke up and start to shed tears because of this great country God has given us. And yet we're turning it into like the nations of the world go. And if you don't believe there's hostility toward God in this nation today, turn on your television. Watch some of the garbage they call entertainment on television and how if it's not making, you know, I found a channel the other day. They had the Patty Duke show on and they had Father Knows Best on and they had Ozzy and Harriet on and man, I'm just loving it, you know. I didn't have to worry about language and I didn't have to worry about dad being presented as a fool. You know who the foolish ones were in those sitcoms? They were the children. And when they messed up, they would come to mom and dad and they say, I'm sorry, I was wrong. You don't see that on television today, folks. But Elijah was a courageous man because he defied a ruler named Ahab, and he denounced a false religion. You look back at what he says in chapter 17, verse 1. He says, There shall not be dew nor rain these years, but according to my word. You know what that is? That is a direct attack against Baal. You know why? Baal was the Canaanite god of fertility. Part of Baal worship involved illicit sexual activity. And if there was a drought in the land, the people would suppose that Baal was angry. And so we have to do something to appease Baal. And so to get his attention or to appease him, they would take a firstborn child and offer that child as a sacrifice to Baal, burning that child alive. That was a horrible religion, but aren't you glad that we don't sacrifice babies in America today? Be careful. We do. You know how we do it? We abort babies. All in the world abortion is, is the sacrificing of unborn babies. And you notice I said babies, not fetuses, not some blob. Abortion is the sacrificing of unborn babies to the God of sex. But Elijah's stand took some courage. And we need to have some courage. And we need to stand up and tell people abortion is wrong. Homosexuality is wrong. Can you imagine how Elijah must have been mocked and ridiculed and even threatened just like Mr. McElhenney was when he took his stand? How that might have happened to Elijah because of the stand he took. In a, remember, when he defeated the prophets of Baal and had them killed, Jezebel said, I'm going to kill you too. You have to have some courage. To stand for God. You have to have some courage to stand for the Lord. And we need it today. But where do you get it? You get that kind of courage when you spend time with God and you're filled with righteous indignation over the sins of the nation. Righteous indignation. Not just indignation, okay? Anybody can get mad about anything anytime. But we need some righteous indignation in the hearts of God's people today. It's the kind of courage that stands up against ridicule. It's the kind of courage that makes a difference for God in a day of self-indulgence. We need courage. And if there ever was a time that that courage is needed and a time that God's people need to stand up and speak up before they shut us up, it is today. Elijah was a common man. He was a courageous man, but he was a committed man also. His name tells his testimony. You know what Elijah means, the name Elijah? The name Elijah means my God is Jehovah, or Jehovah is my God. 
Elijah had a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ. He looked forward to the cross. We look back to the cross, but he had a relationship, a personal relationship with God. And that is the first and the most crucial step or the crucial step in becoming anything for God. You cannot serve God if you don't know God. You cannot live for Christ if you don't know Jesus Christ as Savior. We need to make sure. We need to know for sure, to know that we know that we know that we know Jesus Christ as Savior. And then we talk about his dependence. It, it talks about his faith in God. He walks into the presence of the king and queen. Now you remember, all he had to do was just that. And Elijah would have gotten a lot shorter at the neck, you know, or that have killed him. Ahab had that kind of power. And he walks into the presence of Ahab and of Jezebel and says, there's not going to be any rain in this land till I say so. I think he's speaking by the power of God. But you know, when you do that, you're depending on God 100%. Totally depending upon God. And that is the secret, quote unquote, the secret of living for God in this present world. You have to totally depend upon God. You have to trust Him every day, every night, every morning, every time you go out, when you talk to people, all the time. Only when we are yielded to God in total dependence upon Him can we truly be a success for Him. What does Hebrews eleven six say? Without faith, it is impossible to please Him. Talking about God. Without faith, it's impossible to please Him. For he that cometh to Him must believe that He is and that He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. Faith, dependence, trust in God. See, what we need to do, we need to come to the point where we... Stop trying to work it out ourselves. We stop trying to take care of it ourselves. And we start trusting God to work in and through us. Lord, here I am. I am your servant. You use me however you want to use me. I said I want to be an Elijah. And notice his devotion here. He says, as the Lord God of Israel liveth before whom I stand. Now, who is Elijah standing in front of at this point? Ahab. He's standing in front of the king. But see, Elijah knows something. He knows he's not just in front of Ahab. He is in the presence of the Lord God Almighty. There's nowhere that we can go to escape the presence of God. And here's the point of all of this. We need to get beyond our concern of what other people think of us for standing for the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to say, it doesn't matter what people think. Now, you know, if we're living lives that we shouldn't live and out of fellowship with God, that ought to concern us and what people think about that. But when I take my stand for Christ, when I stand up here and preach His Word, I don't, should not worry about, well, what does everybody that's listening think? All those people that are going to, you know, see, I have faith in this, all of those people that are going to watch by way of live stream, what are they going to think? When I put this on the podcast, what are people that listen there going to think? It shouldn't matter if I'm standing for the Lord, folks. That's the way to be bold and that's the way to be powerful as a child of God. Elijah was on a mission. He knew there wasn't any use in trying to soft sell his message to Ahab. He knew he needed to just come right to the point and carry out the will of God. And that was to call a drought upon the land for three and a half years. Let me ask you, do you worry what anyone thinks? Of you as you stand for God. 
Can you say that regardless of what happens, regardless of whether I'm ridiculed, regardless of whether it causes me difficulty or whether it causes me problems, I'm going to serve God until, and I'm going to be faithful to Him, until He takes me home. That's the commitment that God's people need. So Elijah was a common man. He was a courageous man. He was a committed man. There's one other thought. He was a confident man. See, when you trust in God, you're depending on Him, you can be confident. And Elijah was a confident man. He said, as the Lord God of Israel liveth. You know what he's saying to Ahab? God's alive and God's aware of what's going on in Israel. God knows. There's no sin that can be hidden from God. God knows what's going on in America. You know, sometimes I wonder if that's why he's allowed some of the things that come upon us to come upon us. Because God knows what's going on in this nation. And God knows that it is not according to his word and according to his will. See, many in Elijah's day, many of the days of Ahab lived like God just didn't know. He was unaware of what they were doing. We'll serve God for a little bit. We'll serve Baal for a little bit. We'll just hop from one foot to the other. God doesn't care about our worship. And so we'll just worship however and whoever we want to worship. Folks, that sounds like America today. The majority of people in this country, think about this. The majority of people in this country live like God isn't real, like God doesn't know or doesn't care, or like God is dead. Now, our younger people won't remember those days when Time Magazine declared that God was dead. He's not. God's just the same God and alive as He ever was. And so many people who profess Christ as Savior will show up for church on Sunday and then they become worldlings on Monday. That says to the world, God doesn't know, God doesn't care. We need to live like God knows and we need to live like God cares and we need to be people and we need people who live like God is alive and living today and living in us daily. I heard a woman just the other day talking about the language she uses in her car in traffic. And she followed that by saying, well, nobody hears. And I thought, God does. God hears. You may be shut up in your car and you may be, pardon me for saying this. I'm not talking to this group. I know you wouldn't do that. Do that to make me feel good. I know you wouldn't curse at somebody because they cut you off in traffic or something like that. You have your windows rolled up and air conditioner or heater on and say that and say, well, nobody hears. Yes, God hears. I pointed out to the Sunday school class because Job said this. Job said, no thought can be withholden from thee. There's almost 8 billion people in this world, folks. And God knows every thought. Think about the number of thoughts you have on a daily basis. Because nobody, I'm going to do the same thing to you I did to the Sunday school class, because nobody can't not think. I mean, there's no such thing as negative thinking. I mean, if I tell you, don't think about pink elephants. What are you thinking about? (laughs) Pink elephants, right? There's no way to avoid thinking. And think of the number of thoughts you have in a day. Almost 8 billion people in the world. And God knows every thought of every person in the world. That's how mighty God is. So don't think I can say something in my car with windows rolled up. Or in my house with the doors closed and nobody hears. And see, we need believers who say, again, I'm going to live for God because He is alive and He is living in me. And listen, when God lives in you, you can't be quiet. 
You can't shut up. He was confident of God's person. Elijah was confident in God's power. Again, if you read, and let's just go over there and I've referred to it. Let's just read it for a moment. James chapter 5. We're going to read verses 17 and 18 this time because it says Elias or Elijah was a man subject to like passions as we are. And he prayed earnestly that it might not rain. And it rained not on the earth by the space of three years and six months. And he prayed again and the heaven gave rain and the earth brought forth her fruit. How powerful a prayer life is that? I'm going to pray that it's not going to rain. And it didn't. Three and a half years later. Okay, now I'll pray. And remember, he's up on the mountaintop and he's praying. And he sends his servant seven times. And the seventh time he comes back, he says, Well, there's a cloud out on the horizon about the size of a man's hand. What did Elijah say to Ahab? He said, You better get home. It's fixing to become a frog strangler, you know. And it did. The great faith that Elijah had, the confidence that he had in the power of God. I think that idea of a drought, as I said, was set in his heart by the Holy Spirit. But what confidence? See, you and I need that confidence today. We try to witness to somebody and we're afraid or whatever it may be. We need respect for and confidence in the ability of God. I told the Sunday school class, you know, we sing that. The little children sing that. I think we ought to sing it in here sometime. God can do anything but fail. God can do anything. Only thing God can't do, according to Hebrews 6, is God can't lie. And He won't lie, but God cannot fail. Again, I mentioned Job, and we had that in the Sunday school lesson this morning. Job chapter 42. And that's where he said this. He said, I know thou canst do everything and that no thought can be withholden from thee. He said to God and of God, I know you can do everything. To him, the scripture says in Ephesians chapter 3 verse 20, to him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. Unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. What can God do? God can do anything that we need Him to do. God can meet any need. God can heal any disease. He can cause anything to take place. He can keep anything from taking place. God is all-powerful. There is absolutely nothing that is too hard for God. So I just pray that He'll help us remember that He's God all the time. He's God in every situation. He's God regardless of what we face in life. You know what? When we're battling sin in our lives, He's God. When we have a need, He's God. When we're battling the principalities and the powers that are not of this earth, He's God. Because I tell you what, you stand for God, you'll battle those principalities and you'll battle those powers. He is God all the time. Never forget what He did for Elijah. He can do the same thing for me and you. He can give us the courage. He can give us the confidence, the holy boldness. We just need to trust His ability. And he had confidence in God's promise. Elijah had enough sense to know. I mean, remember, he's just a backwoods preacher. He had enough sense to know that when God says something is going to happen, it's going to happen. Just look in the Word of God. When He says it's going to happen, it's going to happen. God keeps His promises. Hebrews 13, 5, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Guess what? He's never going to leave us. Now, we may leave Him. I'm going to repeat a story I've told hundreds of times. I've probably told it here. 
An old man and old woman driving along one day in the car and he's in the driver's seat and she's sitting over against the door. And she says, honey, remember when we were young and dating how we used to sit right up close to each other? He says, uh-huh, I'm not the one that moved. Amen. Hey, folks, God's not the one that moved. Amen. If we're not as close to God as we used to be, God is not the one that moved. God will keep every promise in His Word. Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 18. Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 18. That by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us. God can't lie. And so he keeps his promises, and he's going to keep every promise in his word. He promises us eternal life. He promises not to leave us. He promises to, if we'll put him and his kingdom first, to make sure that all of our needs are taken care of. I mean, just pick out any promise you want in the word of God, and God will keep that promise. So as we come to the close of this message, Elijah Stirred up the powers of be, didn't he? When he went to Ahab and said, there's going to be a drought. He stirred up the powers that be. In fact, in 1 Kings 18 and verse 17, remember what Ahab said to him in that chapter? He said, art thou he that troubleth Israel? I like Elijah's reply. He said, I'm not the one troubling Israel. You're the one troubling Israel. We could say to folks today that are promoting these ungodly things in our nation, you're the ones that are troubling the nation. But the point of the verse is that Elijah stood up and he did what God gave him to do. He was not afraid to expose the evil of his day nor to speak out against it. He was not afraid to live for God by faith and put his life on the line on a daily basis. Elijah was very bold, very courageous, and he's trusting God for the outcome. He's not trusting Elijah. He's not trusting Ahab. He's not trusting Jezebel. I said, I want to be an Elijah. How many of us here today would say, I want to be an Elijah? I want to be just like Elijah. I want to take my stand for God in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation. Stand up and say, here's what God says. Not what I say. My opinion doesn't matter, but what God's Word says is what matters. And how many of us desire this fellowship, this relationship, and desire to know God as much as Elijah, as well as Elijah knew Him? That ought to be our desire. I said, we need some Elijahs. God hadn't changed. Where are the ones who trust God and serve Him regardless of what the world and what society says? You know, after Elijah was taken up in a whirlwind, Elisha was standing there and he reached down and he picked up Elijah's mantle and he took it and he hit the Jordan River. And what did he say? He asked a question. Where is the Lord God of Elijah? Well, see, here's what we need to be asking today. Where are the Elijahs of the Lord God? Because we sure need the Elijahs of the Lord God in this nation and in our world today.